Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all but feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hello and welcome to Spirit Sherpa, the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. I'm Jules, your co-host. Our topics have evolved to correspond to different levels of growth. Episode 1 starts topics for beginners, episode 98 for intermediates, and episode 200 is where you will start for advanced spiritual practitioners and teachers. With me, as always, to share her insights and wisdom is a spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Jules. <laughs> so apparently thunder rolls. <laughs> thunder rolls, baby. Thunder is rolling in. The left side of me has a lot of rain coming down. The right side of me has no rain yet. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> Yesterday, we had a storm roll through so hard that I honestly thought it was like the beginning of a hurricane, even though we don't get hurricanes here. It was like, I've never seen winds like that with a storm here. We, we do get gale force winds in the summertime in Panama, but, uh, you know, the, we're back into the rainy season now. So um, typically, you don't get that heavy of a wind with the thunderstorms. We get thunderstorms every day. But yeah, that one was like, Ooh, do we, is there a tornado coming? No, I wasn't. I literally Googled, does, does Panama get tornadoes? <laughs> because I was like, should I be in the bathroom right now? Cause I don't know if they have emergency alert systems. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. So yeah, little things. Yeah. When you see everybody running, that would be the alert system. <laughs> Except that everybody's inside in their houses here, so that wouldn't help me, right? Because I'm in, I'm in, I'm in my neighborhood, so like we're downtown. And downtown, you can see tourists running, and they wouldn't know. So you managed that hurricane with no problem last year, so we won't worry too much about. Yeah, that. we'll we'll see. Still back down the hatches. The mistress but... of the hurricanes. <laughs> so. 
We're going to call you Mistress Hurricane. Mistress Hurricane. There you go. All right. So today we are talking about spiritual entrepreneurs, um, income ceilings. Yeah. So this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I see so many spiritual entrepreneurs run into this. uh, And this is whether you are a spiritual teacher or whether you are just a, a regular business owner who has a spiritual bent. Right. There is an inner income ceiling that that many people have. And that comes from a variety of different places. So I want to talk about those today because um, they can really mess with you. And so the first one I want to mention is uh, staying loyal to the rules of belonging. It's a it's a major resistance, right? It says nobody in my family has ever made more money than this. So I can't make more money than this. Or my father didn't make more money than this. So I can't make more money than him. Right. It's, it's disrespectful for me to make more money than him is the, the thought process. And what I need you to understand is that dad's generation didn't have the expenses that our generation has. Let's let's just start there. You know, I did the math recently. My mother, when she was 16 in 1957, so 50 something, I think it was 55 was what I did the math on. Um So maybe a little early, but she received a tip as a waitress from a group of business people who had been there for a whole week. And they handed her a a sealed envelope and said, tell your boss that this is $20, which in 1955 money was a lot of money, right? She went home and opened the, the opened the package and it was $200. Now, just to give this perspective, that $200 in today's money is $2,500. I put it through the inflation calculator. Okay. So she received a $2,500 tip. And so the, the thing that you need to, to recognize is that your parents grew up in an era where money was worth more than it is today. So, you know, that $200 worth worth $2,500. So that's, That's like 10 times, more than 10 times as much, right? So if your dad made 50 grand, then you should be making 500 grand to have the same standard of living. That's the perspective I need you to grasp, okay? So we'll start with that. That's issue number one. Issue number two is that the income ceiling may be a function of being afraid to be something that people don't like. So when I said $500,000, if you went, ugh, the rich, eat the rich, then you're going to have a hard time making reasonable money because you're angry with the people who make that kind of money and therefore you don't want to be them. I, I, I will be them. I will be them and say, bite me. <laughs> but I'm I just want to be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're invested in the victimness of the, um, you know, the richer are stealing the world and blah, blah, blah. If you're invested in that, then you're going to have a very difficult time making enough money to be comfortable, to make a good living, to, you know, to have extra money to do what you want to do. And quite frankly, I want everyone who has a spiritual bent to be freaking rich. Why? 
because money is power in the US. Okay. And I want more people who think in a spiritual collective consciousness way to be in power. That's what I want. So I'm going to do my damnedest to help you out. Okay. Because y'all need to be making some cash, right? I, I need you to be making some bank because we need to have a, an impact and we can't have an impact unless we have the resources to do so. And that doesn't mean going into debt either. No, not at all. That That's negative money. That's not money. It's not money. That so, doesn't count. Credit cards don't count. That's right. And then this is the other piece when we're talking specifically about spiritual entrepreneurs, people who are doing spiritual work, there's that complete crap that, oh, you should never charge you for your spiritual services. I'm like, you know what? They're like, oh, it's a God gift, God given ability. I'm like, uh huh. And the guy who is really brawny and does construction because he's really brawny and God gave him a great physique. Does he not get paid for his work? No. And the the prodigy that, that plays piano like No Tomorrow, do they not charge for their concerts? No. You know, all of these things are God-given abilities. But this is complete bullshit that we should not get paid for our God-given abilities, right? You know, that that's, it's just ridiculous to think that that is the case. And, well, you know, people deserve to have blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, people deserve to have a nicely built house and they pay for that. People deserve to have a nice night out and hear good music, and they pay for that. I deserve to have a competent doctor, <laughs> and and that I'm telling you, and you pay for, and that is God given. <laughs> and and so this is what I'm saying is that you know nowhere else does anybody expect to get it for free, and you know we're just supposed to give it to you because you need it. Well, you know everybody needs a lot of things. But the fact is, I have given a lot of things to a lot of people who needed it, and very few of them have actually received it. And that's the challenge, right? We we buy things because we invest in them, and that we invest with our dollars to invest with our energy. And that is what we do. The amount of money we pay for something represents the amount we are invested in the outcome that that thing is promising. And you guys know this, if you download something for free, there's a good chance you will never look at it. Why? Because it didn't cost you anything. Even if you spend 10, 15, 20 bucks on it, you might download it and totally forget about it and you don't care, right? If you spend 50 bucks on it, maybe I care a little bit. 100 bucks on it, maybe I care a little bit more. $500 on it, now I care about it, unless it really triggers me, in which case I'm gonna say it sucks and I'm gonna walk away, right? spend a few thousand dollars on it. Now you're like, mm, even if it's even if I it's triggering me, I'm going to do it because I spent real money on it, right? That you see how that represents the commitment level. This is what I'm saying is that if you are out there charging 20 bucks or 25 bucks or 100 bucks, you are not engaging people's commitment to their own process. And yes, there are people for whom those amount of money is it is big. And that's a different level of commitment for them. And if that's the case, great. Right. But you should not be building your business on that. That should be your 10% charity side of things, right? That's the 10% that you tithe to help the world. This podcast is my 10% tithe. I do it week in and week out for five years. This is my 10% tithe that I give away 
or that you do for a discount or if you're doing it, cause I'm doing this one to many, so I can do a giveaway. If you're doing one to one, you need to do a discount because you can't afford to tithe that much and still have a business. Right? So this is the, this is the differential that I'm talking about here. Right? So as a spiritual entrepreneur, you need to be willing to charge for your services. Now, the the other piece that comes into play here is value, you know, believing in your own value. We all start out at a place where we kind of sort of think we know what we're doing. And maybe we think it would be okay to charge for it. And that's when you're going to charge less money because you're asking for validation in addition to the cash. Okay, until you feel like, oh, yes, this is what I do. I know that I do it well, you know, and then you charge the full cash amount. But a lot of people don't bring their prices up at that point or they don't bring them up enough. And but I is, feel guilty. Is, I've been charging this for six years. I'm making it up, <laughs> you know, and they've been getting a discount for six years because you've been getting validation as part of your payment. Now, you don't need validation anymore. So they get to pay full price. Now, let me talk about what full price is. In 2000, I had a retail store. I was charging $60 an hour for readings. That was the going rate. I still see people today charging $60 an hour for readings. Inflation has doubled in that time frame. Two and a half times, actually, if I remember correctly. So it's, it, it, you know, um, yeah. I mean, it's about, about two and a half times. So, you know, that would say that you would have to charge 120 to $150 an hour to be making the same amount that I was making in 2000, charging 60. So you need to recognize that your prices need to reflect inflation. If you're still charging $60 an hour, you're charging too little. I need you to understand that. And you're, you're trading your time for money. And so, you know, that's a whole nother thing where I really suggest that you deliver outcomes instead of readings. But that's a that's a different discussion. Okay. But this is about income ceilings. You want to know how you get into an income ceiling, you either don't charge, you don't charge enough. Um, and you set yourself up so that you have a limited amount of time. Right. So if you're doing one on one services, when you fill up all your slots, now you've got an income ceiling right? Because there's only so much time in a day, you've done all of the things that you can do. And that's the amount that you made. So you either have to raise your prices, or you have to work one to many. That's the only way to increase your, your uh, income at that point. So this is why I'm like, look, make sure that you are doing the math on how much money you can make. And don't go thinking that you can do eight hours a day of readings. Because for one, filling eight hours a day of readings is tough uh, because you've got to actually do marketing and, and all of that stuff at some point, right? And two, it's exhausting to do eight hours a day of readings. I've done it. You know, there's only so much that, well, yeah, eh, you can. It's not terrible. But, but, you know, it's, there's only so much time in a day there too. So, you know, at some point, you're going to want to break, you're going to want to go to the bathroom, you're going to want to have lunch, you're going to want to, you know, take a minute and check your email, <laughs> you know, take a minute, and play a game on your phone, take a break, you know, something, go outside, walk. But, you know, these are where the income ceilings come in is what I'm saying. So you can have a structural income ceiling, which is I don't charge enough to get to the level that I need to, to get to to make the money I want to make. 
when I'm working full time, right? Then there are psychological energetic uh, or um, income ceilings, which are the, I can't make more than my parents. I can't, uh, sometimes it's, I can't be successful. You know, it's, um, I can't be part of the people that I hate by being rich, right? Um, I'm afraid of being successful because I'm afraid I'll be a target, right? Because you see all of the the TV shows where rich people's kids are being abducted and, you know, whatever, or I'll have no privacy, like the the super celebrities out there that get paparazzi and stuff. Um, you know, the likelihood of any of us getting to that level, by the way, is very small, right? I mean, in terms of, you know, the the celebrity status, if you think about the most well-known celebrities in the spiritual world, and you go and ask like your average mechanic, if they know that person's name, they don't know that person's name. They have no idea who they are. They are not paparazzi worthy, right? And that's the thing. So, you know, that's not something we need to worry about. And I say that because, you know, somebody's going to be worrying about it. So, but you know, we put limits on our success in that way, right? Sometimes we don't want to deal with money. Sometimes we're afraid of money. We avoid everything having to do with money because we've always been poor. And so I don't want to look at it. I don't even open my bills. Right. And when you don't monitor your money, your money goes away. And so you've got to pay attention to your money and know exactly where it's going and make conscious choices about whether or not that's where you want it to go so that you can be uh, in a good space in your life. And if you don't, then, or if you like, uh, I know a lot of spiritual business owners don't do their taxes. They're like, I don't have any money to pay my taxes, so I'm just not going to do them. Right. I did that for years. I did. I'm going to help myself. I, I was like, I don't have the money. I'm just not going to file. Well, then there's a failure to file penalty that you get hit with, as well as the interest and everything else. And, you know, then it, and then it all builds up. And it's like, you know, I could have just filed and gone on to a payment plan and the problem would have been solved. <laughs> you know, but no, I didn't do that. So, but that's, that's another piece. It, it, you know, it wasn't until I cleaned up my money around the taxes and around, you know, I, I was always pretty good about paying attention to what was in the bank account. I, I looked at my bills. I knew what I had, you know, all of that, but the taxes, I just was not touching. And that's because my dad was a CPA, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna be honest. My dad was a CPA and I freaking hated him and I wanted nothing to do with anything. And I, I convinced myself the bookkeeping was a waste of time because it was, you know, paying attention to what was in the past. And I was on the, all about the future. And, you know, I had all kinds of ways in which I mentally, you know, made this okay for myself. But it wasn't until I got all that stuff under control, that my business took off. Right. And that's just the nature of the beast. Right. You have to be in good relationship with money if you want to have a lot of it in your life. It's that simple. You know, it means you don't twiddle around with your cash. You don't leave cash lying on the floor. You don't, ladies, leave it in the bottom of your purse or guys, leave it in the bottom of your backpack or, you know, days, leave it in the bottom of anything. You assign a job to each and every dollar, you know, and, and it, it's got a job to do. That way it's working for you. <laughs> Otherwise it runs away. <laughs> Keep it lined up in denominational order in your wallet so that you know exactly how much money you have in your wallet at all times. 
you know, this is how you do it. If you get a tw- if you get money back from something, you don't shove it in your pocket. You put it in your wallet. That's what I'm saying. So it's about treating money with respect. And then the other piece that comes in around pricing is a value issue. It's about, you know, not believing in your value, right? When we started talking about that, but I want to come back to it. When you're talking about pricing and value, you have to believe that you can deliver the outcome that you promise. If you don't believe that, then you won't be able to deliver it for one. And for two, you can't market based on delivering an outcome, right? You can only market based on delivering hours. And you will make far more money delivering an outcome because people will pay far more money to get an outcome than they will just to get your time. You know, what do I get out of my time with you? Well, you know, well, we're going to talk about this and this. Okay. But what do I get for my money? Right. You want to know what you get for your money. You want the outcome. And so the only way to do that is to be able to deliver it. And the only way to deliver it is to believe that you can. And the only way to believe that you can is to to really internalize your sense of value and to see what you've done in the past. See what your clients have said in the past. This is why we do, you know, this is why we do sessions so that we can get to understand exactly what it is that we do. Because we know how we're doing it, but that's not what we're doing right? We know how we do what we do, but we don't know what we're doing until we see the outcome in the client. Okay. You can intend, but you don't know until you get the feedback from the client. That's why you do all the practice sessions. It's why you get all the feedback. That's why you charge less in the beginning to give validations because that validation tells you what the outcome is that you're delivering. And that outcome that you're delivering is what provides you with your knowledge of your value that you can then turn into a value promise that then allows you to charge more money. So income limits, again, and I know I've told this story before, but Kathy has told me the story. And it's, you know, the guy who uh, couldn't reach a million dollars in earnings in a year, just kept trying and trying and failing, couldn't make it happen, couldn't make it happen. And he, uh, he went to a coach and finally said, um, you know, I can't get this to happen. And, And it came down to his mother hated rich people. She thought they were awful. And in his mind, a million dollars a year was rich. So you would get right up to 900,000, 69, 79, 82, and he couldn't cross to a million. And the, the person said, well, that's very simple. What you do is you just, when you hit a million dollars, you buy your mother her dream house. And he was like, oh, I could do that. And he immediately went out and made enough sales to cross a million dollars. And he bought his mom a dream house. And now she walks around saying how great her rich son is. Sometimes we just have to manipulate our inner mind, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, I can't get around it. Okay, well, let's just make it go, right? It'll be fine. Well, and and I was thinking about when you were talking to a limit, like between if, say, the the wife, female perspective, right, is the practitioner, her husband's not, and she's like, well, I can't make more money than my husband, you know, that whole dynamic, or if you're not, Work not working together as a team, you know, husband and wife working the money together. But I was thinking about that one too. The wife going, I, "Oh, dear Scarlett, I cannot make more money than my husband." <laughs> well, and I want to be really clear. That is actually an issue in some relationships, 
And all I have to say to that is if he can't live with you making more money when he gets the benefit of it, maybe he's not the right guy. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I have known men in my in my life that they were like that they were. There's no way it, it just cut to their quote unquote core, you know, because the man always brings home the bread, blah, 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 blah. And the woman. Well, yeah, in those days, a woman stayed home, too, dear. So if that's how you're going to do, I don't need to work, then that's fine. I stay home. You bring home the bread. But nowadays, that's that's not that's not how things are done. Right. That the world has evolved. I think it's less relevant in the younger millennials and Gen Z, um, uh, Gen Y and Gen Z than it is in our generation and our parents generation. Um but it's it's still active and out there in Gen X. I can tell you that I've run across it before, but not as often as I had feared. So, you know, like my husband and I have a, a role reversed from traditional dynamic. He's the stay at home homemaker, does all the cooking, everything. And I'm the one who works and that works for both of us. You know, you know he was a chef. He loves to just be able to cook at home. <laughs> he doesn't want to work in kitchens anymore. He's like, I'm so happy to not be in kitchens anymore, but I love to cook. And I'm like, perfect. I love to eat. So <laughs> this does not suck. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, it works, but you know, you have to have both people on board for that dynamic to work. And, and you have to work, to communicate, work together, working toward the same goal, you know, because, and I was wondering if that also goes in with the with the income ceilings is that if y'all are going in two different directions, say a couple, right. And that does that, wouldn't that also create an income ceiling? Cause you're pulling in two different directions. With my first husband, he really, he had an idea about how he wanted the money to work and the money didn't work the way he wanted it to work. And so I was working hundred hour weeks and trying to sell real estate and, and I, I, I told him, I said, I need $5,000 as a slush fund because, you know, it's real estate. You know, my money comes in and in, in, in drips and drabs and whatever. And I need the, I need the $5,000 to, to balance out the, the down months. And, you know, and I said, that's what I need. And he would not give it to me. He, every time the money came in, he would spend it on, on debt reduction on the house. And I'm like, we are getting tax deductions for this tax stop it i'm like you are him you are and then he would blame me when i didn't have enough money come in in a month and i'm like that's not going to work that's not going to work for me so what i was forced to do was to open a bank account that he didn't know existed and i put five thousand dollars in that account and when money was low i would deposit money from that account into our bank account and he would stop yelling at me about money and, and when it was big, I would deposit the money. And when I had a big closing, I would, or when I had a closing that I hadn't told him about, I would, I stopped talking about my closings and I would just deposit them one of the checks into that account to replenish it. And he would never know it happened. And it all balanced out to even, and he never knew the difference until we got divorced. And he was like, you were hiding money from me. I'm like, you gave me no choice. I told you about it when we got divorced. You, I didn't have to. <laughs> Technically, I did. But but you would have never known if I hadn't. So shut up. 
<laughs> so like you gave me no option, right? So this is, this is the thing, right? So, I mean, that's always an option too. If you want to go around it as you could, you know, he doesn't have to see all the money coming in. <laughs> he can just be going into retirement accounts. And when, when you hit retirement and he goes, crap, we don't have enough money in the retirement account. You go, yes, we do. Surprise. I've been putting money aside. You know, that could happen. Nobody says you can't do it. As I, you know, I'm not a big fan of lying in your relationships, but if you're left with no option and you're not willing to, to leave, then you do what you have to do, you know? So, but you know, these are all things that get in the way, right? These are all things that become challenges for us. And so, you know, it's a matter of making sure that you're looking at the things that are in the way that you're looking at the things you know, another thing I see is that people will say, I need to be needed, right? And so they'll do too much for the money they're being paid so that they can feel needed, so that they can feel important. And then they don't get paid enough, right? So all of these things, there's so many like uniquely little ick things that get in the way. Transactional love. That- Uh, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, these are the things that that you need to pay attention to as you're going through your uh, entrepreneurial process to to check in and make sure none of these are triggering on your radar. Right. So with that being said, uh, this would be the time that I would mention that I actually do coaching for spiritual entrepreneurs, whether it's for people in the spiritual field or people who are in any other field but have a spiritual bent. Um, and I work with people at a variety of different levels on that. So I have prices from $500 a month up to several thousand dollars a month, depending upon whether you're getting one-on-one or group coaching. Um, so if you are looking for some help in your spiritual process, there will be a link in the show notes, uh, or you are welcome to sign up on for a discovery call, uh, on the website, just click through to the, uh, to the spiritual entrepreneurs section on the homepage. And there will be a place in there for you to sign up for a discovery call for this. And I'm happy to talk to you about it. Um, and so closing up for the day, let's think of the Kellyism. Kellyism. Your money is where your mind is. Got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. <laughs> I couldn't Being help it. <laughs> it. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I had to. Been rewatching Suits. Greenback Boogie came up. Oh my so. goodness! All right. Yeah. Well, so keep your mind on your money, folks. <laughs> and that is all that we have time for this week. Tune in next week when Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to in it into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Jules here with Kelly Sparta, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon. Within my car, I'm all alone. But feeling good and feeling strong. Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself. I'm driving.
Are you a spiritual practitioner or a coach who is looking to be able to be more abundant in your business, but you don't really know how to do that? You'd love to create a group program, but you don't know what you would necessarily talk about. And you really just love some help in getting the business off the ground. And you really love to not have to do everything yourself. Well, then I have good news for you. My spiritual coach certification program is the way for you to be able to build a high ticket business with very little effort and to have a partner in the business along the way. We do all of the back end for you. We do all your tech. We do all of the payment processing. We do all of the onboarding, all of the customer service. And all you have to do is market, sell, and deliver on your courses. So if you'd like to learn more about this program and how it might work for you, reach out to me at spiritualcoachcertification.us and set up a discovery call. I look forward to talking with you.